Well, good morning again, everybody. Hope you're all doing well. So as Keith said earlier, this week we are continuing our Untamed Jesus series. Uh, over the last two weeks, we've been looking at places in Scripture where Jesus says things that are weird or harsh or they seem out of character. These are the parts of the Gospels that we might feel compelled to ignore or skip. Um, parts of the Gospels that might seem to conflict with our perception of Jesus. But during this series, instead of ignoring or skipping, we're, we're going to look at these passages carefully and closely, and we're going to humbly ask ourselves, what can we learn from them? So, uh, two weeks ago we talked about tossing pearls to pigs. Last week we talked about, I did not come to bring peace, but a sword. If you missed those, I encourage you to give them a listen online. Uh, this week, we have another challenging passage, as you would expect, and it's challenging for a couple reasons, but the big reason is because it seems to be giving a frightening answer to a question that all of us wonder about at some point, which is the question, what does God require of me? Um, what do I need to do to get to heaven or to avoid the other place? Uh, how many rules do I have to follow? How good do I have to be? And the answer that Jesus seems to be giving, at least on first reading, is a little scary. Uh, so with those questions in mind, let's turn to our passage. We're going to be looking at Matthew 5, 17 through 20. So starting in verse 17. Matthew 5, starting in verse 17. Uh, but before we read it, let's say a quick prayer. Lord Jesus, uh, we thank you so much for this morning, and we thank you for your word, even when it's challenging. And God, I just pray that you would give us uh, the ability to attend to what you're saying here, uh, to listen carefully, to be open to receiving what it is you want us to, to recognize and understand. And God, we pray not just for understanding, but for transformation, Lord. We pray that uh, through your word, your Holy Spirit will work in our hearts uh, to make us more like you and to help us just to become more the kind of people um, that uh, embody your kingdom in the world. And so we ask for your wisdom and guidance now. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, the words of Jesus. Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. I tell you the truth. Until heaven and earth disappear, not the smallest letter, not the least stroke of a pen, will by any means disappear from the law until everything is accomplished. Anyone who breaks one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever practices and teaches these commands will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you, that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, you will certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven. All right, so what does God require of us? Well, according to what we just read, it sounds like he requires a lot, doesn't it? Jesus says that he has not come to abolish the law and the prophets, uh, but to fulfill them. Now, when Jesus talks about the Law and the Prophets, he's talking about what we would consider to be the Old Testament scriptures, 
the Old Testament in our Bibles. And I don't know how much time you've spent reading the Old Testament, uh, but if you have, you know that there are long stretches in the Old Testament that are rules and regulations for the nation of Israel. Rules that most of us today uh, don't follow. Rules like don't eat shellfish, don't eat pork, don't mix certain kinds of fabric, and guys, don't trim the corners of your beard, stuff like that. And so when Jesus says, I have not come to abolish the law, and then follows that up by saying, I tell you the truth, until heaven and earth disappear, not the smallest letter, not the least stroke of a pen will by any means disappear from the law. When he says that, it sounds like he's saying, guys, you better still be letting the corners of your beard grow, right? And it sounds kind of like he's saying, you better be passing on the shellfish. And it sounds like he's saying, all of you who ate ham on Easter, come on, I mean, really, it's my day, <laughs> and you ate ham, even though I said I did not come to abolish the law, even though I said not the smallest bit of it would disappear until heaven and earth pass away. I mean, the pig rules, they're not even that small. They show up multiple times. So it sounds like Jesus is saying that the whole Old Testament law, with all of its rules and regulations, is still required of us. And as if that, that's not challenging enough, Jesus ups the ante even more in verse 20 when he says, For I tell you that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, you will certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven. Certainly not. Yikes. So right there, Jesus is talking about the people who teach the law, the people who spend their lives learning the law, communicating it, and he's saying even them, their righteousness is not good enough. They haven't met God's requirements. Your righteousness, your righteousness needs to be better than them if you're going to enter the kingdom. So, this passage on first reading, it's kind of terrifying, isn't it? Because it sounds like Jesus is saying, unless you're following the Old Testament law and you're telling everybody else to follow it, you will certainly never see the kingdom. I mean, by that standard, I am in big trouble. I, I eat shellfish. I've even encouraged other people to, sh to eat shellfish. You probably remember a few weeks ago, I was talking about how my, my brother doesn't like lobster and I tried to get him to eat lobster. Um, and I'm not sure where the corners of my beard are, but I'm sure I trim them because every week I trim my beard. Uh, so will I certainly not enter the kingdom? Well, there are a few fringe groups out there that argue that the interpretation that I just described is what Jesus meant. Actually, just this last week, uh, I was talking to someone who was telling me that his family had gotten involved with a church where they were telling him that unless he celebrated the Passover, the Jewish Passover, and unless he went to church on Saturday instead of Sunday, then he would certainly not enter the kingdom. And this church would point to this verse, and they would say, because Jesus said, I did not come to abolish the law. So there are, there are people out there who say that. So are they right? Well, okay, one thing is for sure, which is, the first apostles did not teach that followers of Christ were bound by the law. You can be absolutely sure of that. And uh, it's hard to know even where to start in order to prove that to you. 
but I'll give a couple quick examples. Uh, you might remember that the book of Acts, if you're familiar with it, is all about the start of the Christian church. And very early in the book of Acts, there is a story about the apostle Peter having a vision. And in that vision, he sees all these unclean animals, animals that Jews are not supposed to eat or really have much to do with at all. And he hears a voice from heaven saying, get up, Peter, kill and eat. And Peter, being a good Jew, he says, surely not, Lord. I've never eaten anything impure or unclean. No shellfish, no bacon, you know, nothing like that. But then the voice of the Lord speaks again and says, do not call impure anything that I have made clean. So very early in the church, we have this sign that the dietary restrictions of the law are no longer binding. Now, some people will say, well, what that vision was really communicating is that, uh, is that God was about to let Gentiles into the church. And that is true. That is the main point of that vision. However, at the same time, I don't know how we can look at that, knowing what comes later, and not see that the Lord was foreshadowing the fact that the dietary restrictions were no longer binding, because we see that fulfilled just a later, little bit later in the book of Acts with what's called the Jerusalem Council. This is in Acts chapter 15, uh, and the Jerusalem Council was a meeting that was held uh, very early in the church among the apostles and, and the early leaders in the church, uh, because they had to deal with this question of what do we do with the fact that so many people are becoming Christians, followers of Christ, who are Gentiles, people who are not Jews? Do we demand that they follow the Jewish law or not? Do we expect them not to trim the corners of their beard and not to eat shellfish and ham and all that stuff? Should we enforce that? And we have in the book of Acts, starting in verse, oh, well, not starting in verse 28, but I'm going to highlight the part from 1528, uh, part of a, a letter that the early church wrote to the Gentile churches. And it's very interesting. Here's what they say after praying and discussing and discerning together what to do about this problem. They say, it seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us not to burden you with anything besides the following requirements. You were to abstain from food sacrificed to idols, from blood, from the meat of strangled animals, and from sexual immorality. You will do well to avoid these things. So they decide to tell the Gentiles to obey a few things uh, from the law. Uh, but most of the external rules and regulations, they say, we don't want to burden you with these. And you realize how crazy that is? These, these Jews who had, had grown up believing that, that the law was just so important for them to say, you know, we don't want to burden you with most of that. Just, you do, you do well to do these things. Love God, love your neighbor, and, and that's enough. That's unbelievable. And those are just two places in the New Testament uh, that clearly teach that we are no longer bound to the Old Testament law. There's actually a whole bunch of others. In fact, my favorite example is the entire book of Galatians. Uh, the whole letter to Galatians was Paul's response to the fact that some people had come into the Galatian church from Jerusalem, and they were Jews, and they were saying, if you are going to follow, follow Christ, you have to follow all of the rules. And you probably know that one of the rules in the Old Testament law is that if you are a male, you're supposed to be circumcised. 
So there's this moment in the book of Galatians where Paul is extremely upset at these people who are saying that the Gentiles have to be circumcised. And here's what he says. He says, as for those agitators, I wish they would go the whole way and emasculate themselves. And that means what you think it means. <laughs> so Paul was really, really bothered by that idea that anyone would say, you are bound to the Old Testament law if you are a follower of Jesus. So, the apostles were clear. We're not bound by the law. But then what do we do with Jesus' words in Matthew 5? I have not come to abolish the law. Well, it seems to me we have three options. One, the apostles were wrong. Two, Jesus was wrong. Or three, there's some way of understanding what Jesus is saying here that can be harmonized with what the apostles were teaching. And as you can imagine, I'm going to pick the third one. And that's what I'm going to be arguing for this morning. Um, so, why is it that we don't have to see the apostles and Jesus as in conflict? Well, it's going to take me a little while to answer that, a couple steps in the process. Uh, hopefully, you'll find it interesting. We're going to be looking at some scriptures and jumping around a little bit, but I think it'll be worth it. So, first thing that we need to recognize is the audience of Jesus' words. When Jesus gave the Sermon on the Mount, he was talking to Jewish people, right? And we also need to recognize that when Matthew wrote his gospel and he selected this particular thing that Jesus said and presented it, he also was writing primarily to a Jewish audience. Of all the gospels, Matthew is the one that is most oriented towards Jews. Now, if you're Jewish, you have grown up believing the law, and that the law, with all of its rules and regulations, is absolutely essential to having a right relationship with God. If you were asked, as a Jew, what does God require, you would say, God requires that I obey his law. That's what I'm supposed to do. So Jesus was talking to people who cared a lot about the law when he said this. Now I want you to imagine Jesus comes to that audience of people, these Jews, and as they observe him, they notice that he does not seem to be handling the law the way that most of the religious leaders do. There's something different about the way he handles it. Uh, for example, there is a scene later in Matthew's Gospel, uh, in chapter 12, where Jesus' disciples are walking through a field and they pick some grain on the Sabbath. And now, you weren't supposed to do certain things on the Sabbath because you were supposed to honor it as a day where you didn't do any work. And the religious leaders of the day believed that something like picking grain when you're walking through a field, that would count as work. And so when the Jesus' disciples did this, some of the religious leaders confronted Jesus and they said, why do, you, why do your disciples break the Sabbath? Now, Jesus, if he was like most religious leaders, would have said, yeah, I'll have to, you know, take him out to the woodshed later for doing that. But he doesn't say that. He actually defends them. And so <clears throat> the Jews are seeing Jesus handle the law in this strange way, and they're troubled by it. 
Um, and because of incidents like that, the Jews were suspicious that Jesus just wanted to abolish the law, that he just wanted to get rid of it, that he didn't care about it at all. And so to that audience, this is the audience that Jesus is speaking to when he says those words. And to that audience, this, this audience that cares about the law, that's confused about the way Jesus is using it, Jesus says, do not think I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. In other words, don't think I don't care about the law. Don't think that I have no respect for our tradition. Don't think that I'm just here to toss it all out and pretend it never happened. Like, the law and the prophets, they matter. They matter tremendously. So there's reassurance there. Calm down, everyone. Not here to abolish the law. But as Jesus reassures, he also provokes. Because in that same passage where he affirms the law, he also says that the people in society who are thought of as the best law keepers of all aren't good enough. Again, remember verse 20, for I tell you that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees, you will certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven. You know, I think it's easy for us to miss just how startling that is. Because the Pharisees and teachers of the law, these are the superstars of the law. Okay, for, for, for that audience, when Jesus said that, it would have sounded like, unless your athleticism surpasses that of Kobe Bryant, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Or, unless your intelligence surpasses that of Stephen Hawking, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Because the Pharisees, they are the superstars of the law. They would do things like, uh, they would strain out their water and their wine before drinking it, just in case a gnat had landed in it. Because they believed that to consume a gnat would be to violate the law, it would be to eat something unclean. And so before they drank anything, they strained it out. Um, they also tithed very thoroughly. You're probably familiar with the principle of tithing, giving a tenth of what you have for the Lord's purposes. And they would even tithe their spices. So you can imagine, like, if you went through your salt and every tenth grain you would pick out, they would do that. These are the superstars of the law. It must have been incredibly tedious, but that's what they do because they are the superstars of the law. But here Jesus says these superstars, they're not good enough. They might be impressive, but they're not good enough. And then what Jesus does is he goes on in the next section in the Sermon on the Mount to talk about why they're not good enough. Um, I have this little chart here that shows the differences between the teachers of the law and Jesus, and Jesus in the next section in the Sermon on the Mount. So Jesus says that the teachers of, of the law, they say don't murder. But that's not good enough. Because Jesus says it's not enough not just to murder. He says anyone who is angry with his brother will be subject to judgment. Uh, the teachers of the law say, don't commit adultery. But Jesus says, that's not good enough. He says, you shouldn't even look at a woman lustfully. The teachers of the law say, an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth. Basically, principle of vengeance. If someone wrongs you, then you, can, you should take from them what they, wrong for you, for what they took from you. Uh, but Jesus says, that's not good enough. He says, if someone strikes you on the right cheek, you should turn to him the, the other also. Uh, the teachers of the law say, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. 
But Jesus says that's not good enough. He says, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. And then to bring home just how high Jesus' standards are, just how incredibly high they are, he says in verse 48, by the way, be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. So what Jesus says in our passage is basically, I care about the law. And then he says, you need to be better at keeping the law than Kobe Bryant is at basketball and Stephen Hawking is at theoretical physics. And then he goes on to explain why Kobe Bryant isn't really that great at basketball or why Stephen Hawking isn't really that great at physics. And the reason is because they're not perfect. And the law demands that we be perfect as our Heavenly Father is perfect. So what is Jesus saying through all this? Because it still sounds like a pretty terrifying passage. Well, there's two things that I see him saying. If you're taking notes, I encourage you to write these down. The first one is he is saying that what true obedience to the law looks like isn't what people think it looks like. What true obedience to the law looks like isn't what people think it looks like. People thought that the Pharisees and the teachers of the law were superstars of keeping the law because they followed all these strict external rules, like refusing to eat anything unclean, picking out a tenth of their spices, that sort of thing. That's what they thought true obedience looked like. But Jesus corrects them by emphasizing an entirely different set of things than that kind of thing. Hopefully you notice that when Jesus offers his corrections in the Sermon on the Mount, uh, he, when he raises the standard of righteousness, he doesn't say things like, you have heard it said, don't eat anything unclean. But I say, give up meat entirely. No meat. Just all of it. Get rid of it. And he doesn't say anything like, you have heard it said, tithe a tenth of your spices. But I say, give 20% of your spices and pick them out before sunrise on Monday morning with a toothpick. Right? He doesn't... He doesn't raise the standard of righteousness by talking about those kinds of external rules. He raises the standard of righteousness by emphasizing the attitude of our hearts. Don't be angry. Don't be lustful. Don't take vengeance. Don't hate your enemies. And if we went on a little further, we would hear, don't worry. Don't, uh, don't pray and fast in order to gain others' approval, but do it for God alone. See, these are heart-oriented things. Those are the kinds of ways that Jesus raises the standard of righteousness, not by creating more external rules and regulations. So, what Jesus was saying is that true adherence to the law, true obedience, is about the attitude of the heart. It's not so much about what you eat and don't eat. It's not about not picking grain on the Sabbath or picking out every tenth grain of salt. It's about why you would do those things. It's about the heart behind that. It's about truly loving God and loving our neighbor. Okay, the second thing that I see Jesus doing here is he's saying that no one 
can live up to the true standard of the law. Right? First, he blows their minds by telling them that the people who they see as the greatest law keepers of all aren't good enough. And then he explains why they're not good enough, because what really matters is not all these external rules and regulations, but the attitude of the heart. Now, on the one hand, that might seem freeing, because all of those rules and regulations can be a burden, right? But you know what? The attitude of the heart is harder to control than external rules. Um, it might be tedious to pick out every tenth grain of salt, but if you really need to do that, you can do it, right? Uh, it might be annoying to strain out your water before you drink it, but if you need to do it, you can do it. But not being angry when your brother wrongs you, not being lustful, actually wanting to see your enemies blessed, those aren't the kind of things that you can just turn on or off, like picking grains of salt out of your, out of your salt shaker. Letting go of anger, loving the loveless, forgiving, that is a lot harder. And so to these people who care so deeply about the law, Jesus is basically saying, I care too. And you know what? If anyone tries to toss aside any part of the law, pretend it's not there, pretend it doesn't exist, that's shameful. But you know what? Truly following the law looks different than you think. And the standard it holds you to is impossible to meet. Now, if that is all that Jesus said, this would be a really depressing passage. But there's one critical part that we haven't looked at yet. Jesus says, I did not come to abolish the law and the prophets, but to fulfill them. So what does that mean? Well, we need to talk about this word, fulfill. So it makes a big difference. The word fulfill, in the original language, in the Greek, is this word, plerao. And Matthew uses it a lot. He actually uses it uh, a bunch of times before this passage and a bunch of times after. He uses it 16 times in total, besides in this passage. And 13 of those times, 80%, do you know what he uses it in reference to? He uses it in reference to Jesus fulfilling Old Testament scriptures. So here's one example. Uh, Matthew 8, starting in verse 16. When evening came, many who were demon-possessed were brought to him, and he drove out the spirits with a word, and he healed all the sick. This was to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet Isaiah. He took up our infirmities and carried our diseases. That's from Isaiah 53, 4. So what Matthew does over and over again, 13 times total, which is a lot, is he brings up passages of scripture, passages from the law and the prophets. And he, he brings them up and he says, look, this describes Jesus or this foreshadows Jesus, or this points to Jesus. And he says, that's why Jesus fulfills the scriptures. So, I think this is really cool. Um, 
Because this means that when Jesus says, I have not come to abolish the law and the prophets, I have come to fulfill them, what we need to hear is, I have not come to abolish the law and the prophets, but I've come to show how the law and the prophets point to me. Right? I've come to show how the law and, pro and the prophets foreshadow me and direct you to me. So we hear Jesus say that phrase, I've not come to abolish the law and the prophets, but to fulfill them. And if we're not careful, we hear, I have not come to get rid of all these rules and regulations, but I've come to enforce them and maybe even create some new ones. But that's not what, we, what he's saying. What we need to hear is, I have not come to do away with the scriptures. I have come to show how the scriptures foreshadow me and point to your need for me. See, that's why Jesus is so insistent that not a single part of the scriptures be tossed aside or ignored. Because Jesus believes that all of it, every command, every prophecy, every narrative, it foreshadows him and it points us to our need for a savior. Every part of it finds fulfillment in him. So Jesus fulfills the law not by enforcing all the old rules and regulations, but he fulfills it by being the only one who can actually meet the law's true requirements. And he meets them on our behalf. So that's a beautiful little word there, fulfill. It makes all the difference. God requires perfection. What does God require of you? God requires perfection. But that's something we can never attain. So Jesus fulfills what God requires on our behalf. So we shouldn't let this passage make us think that we got to give up seafood or ham or that we're worshiping on the wrong day of the week or anything like that. We should let this passage remind us that what we could not do, Christ did. And if we're reading the Old Testament correctly, as we should, all of it points to him and to our need for him. Let's pray. God, we thank you that we're not supposed to just toss out the Old Testament. Um, but we thank you, Lord, that, that you have honored it in a way that frees us. <clears throat> we thank you, Lord, that we can, we can look at what's gone on uh, in the past and we can see how it points to you and it points to our need for you. Lord, we thank you that although your standard is perfection, God, that, that you have fulfilled it on our, on our behalf and that through you... Um, we can enter the kingdom. Through your, your work on the cross, through your life, death, and resurrection, uh, we have hope, uh, a confident hope of being in your kingdom. And God, I do pray that as we hope for that, that kingdom and trust that you have fulfilled the law on our behalf, that you would make us more and more into uh, the kind of people who, who fulfill the law as well. Um, in the sense that we are not uh, all about external rules and regulations, but that the attitude of our hearts is truly set on loving you and loving our neighbor. I pray that you would conform us more and more to that 
uh, standard. In Jesus' name, amen.